Weirdly fascistic, foul-mouthed teenager David Hogg says anti-gun activists are about to start a revolution against gun owners. Which raises the question, if you start an anti-gun revolution against gun owners, won't the gun owners have all the guns? Just asking for a friend. We'll talk about the children's crusade against our constitutional rights with semi-child Michael Knowles. And there's lots of other news, but most importantly, we have to talk about Stormy Daniel's sex life because... Something, something, something. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Claven Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, dipsy-topsy, the world is a bitty zing. It's a wonderful day, hooray, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray, oh, hooray, hooray. All right, Michael Knowles will come on later, but I do want to congratulate uh, CBS. They have finally forced me to talk about Stormy Daniels. I finally, you know, they were having they were having parties in New York to watch Stormy Daniels be interviewed on 60 Minutes about her sexual relationship with her alleged sexual relationship with a billionaire playboy who had sexual relationships with all kinds of people. And this is news because I'm not sure why. But so many people were watching it. We really have to talk about it. I heard that in gym, in gyms, young women, young unmarried women, people tweeted about this, would stop what they were doing to watch the show, probably because they were thinking, I wonder how I can get a billionaire. Uh, now, now, many times, you know, when I do commercials for Keeps, which is a product uh, for, you know, if you want to keep your hair, if you don't have hair loss, people laugh at me. Don't laugh at me. Stop laughing at me. I hate it. No, because <laughs> I can remember. I can remember the day. I swear I can. I was in a bodega in New York City. And, you know, they have those security uh, mirrors on the wall so they can see down the aisles and see if anybody's stealing anything. And I caught uh, uh, the si- sight of myself reflected in one of the in two of these mirrors. And I could see the back of my head and I could see that I was losing my hair, which I always knew I would because everybody, every male in my family loses his hair. And I remember that sinking feeling of, uh, well, here we go. You can stop that. You can stop that with Keeps. Keeps is the easiest way to keep your hair. Keeps offers Keeps offers the only two hair loss products that are clinically proven to keep the hair you have. You can sign up with them uh, in five minutes. And it's entirely online. Keeps is only ten to thirty-five dollars a month, so it's a buck a day or less on average, and that's half of what you would pay typically pay at the pharmacy. Getting started with Keeps is easy. You just answer a few questions, snap some photos of yourself. A licensed doctor remotely reviews your information and gives you the right prescription, all without ever leaving your couch. Within two to three days, a three-month supply of your treatment will arrive perfectly packaged at your door. You can stop hair loss today the easy way with Keeps, offering customized treatment plans with the only clinically proven hair loss products for about $1 a day. To receive your first month of treatment for free, go to keeps.com slash Clavin, because that makes them laugh too. Spell it K-L-A-V-A-N. That's K, no E's. No, the E's are in Keeps. It's K-E-E-P-S dot com slash Clavin, K-L-A-V-A-N. That's a free month of treatment at keeps.com slash Clavin. Keeps hair today, hair tomorrow. Don't let this happen to you. All right. You know, I know you're you're looking, you're thinking, no, no, you're you're beautiful. Maybe I can just let my hair fall out. Get the keeps. It'll keep your hair. It's much easier. Uh, all right. So, so you know, the, 
before we get to the sex, before we get to Stormy Daniels, and we do have to talk about this because it, it, it really, what it really is, is it's the failure, it's the failure of the media to get Trump with their phony Russian collusion thing. That Russian collusion story is blowing up on them, and suddenly the FBI looks really, really bad, and it looks really corrupt, and it means Obama, the Obama administration, it's only, it's not the FBI, obviously, it's only the uh, leadership of the FBI, which was put in place, and the DOJ, which was put in place by Obama, so he's beginning to look corrupt, so they've got to find something else. They're scrambling. Wow, we got a girl he slept with. He slept with a woman. Donald Trump slept with a woman. You did not. I mean, oh, my God. You know, so it's like we're supposed to all run around in in circles about this. But I want to just say about we're going to talk about the uh, march against guns with Knowles. But I want to just point something out. The New York Times, a former newspaper, had an article attacking an editorial attacking uh, an a, a, blah, a proposed Ohio bill which would ban abortions. And obviously the point of the bill is to go to the Supreme Court and get Roe v. Wade overturned. And so the New York Times starts screaming about this, saying, well, abortion is the law of the land. And he says, it says, bills like the Ohio total abortion ban seem outrageous because they are. But if there's any lesson to learn from them, it's that the Republican anti-abortion strategy doesn't stop with one extreme bill. If it's up to them, they won't stop until it's impossible for many or all women in America to kill their children. They don't say that, but that's what they mean. So basically, you have the New York Times making the same argument about abortion that we on the right are making about the Second Amendment. Those kids out there saying, we don't want to take all the guns, but then you look around and you see a lot of signs saying repeal the Second Amendment, you know, get rid of all guns, ban guns. They all they don't know what they're talking about. They all just want to ban guns because somehow that that is that that's the thing that gets them on television. That's the thing that is making their lives so exciting. That's where their emotions have been guided by their teachers and the uh, and the media around them. But it's interesting that it's the same argument. It is interesting that we are both saying this is the law of the land. You know, you can't just ban guns if you want to. You have to obey the Constitution. The New York Times is saying you have to obey what five judges said the Constitution says. But we're all making the same argument. And the point is that the argument is between people who believe that we are the leaders of the country. We, the people, are the leaders of the country. And because government tends by nature to expand and take over everything and has been expanding since really the turn of the century has been expanding through these regulatory agencies and all the ways that has reached into our lives. I mean, the last president of the United States wanted to force Catholic nuns to pay for birth control and some of the birth control may have been, uh, may have caused abortions. They They wanted to force religious people to break their religion according to the law. They they basically said to Catholic nuns, you cannot have an adoption service. They said to the Catholic Church, you can't have an adoption service if you don't place children with gay couples. So you have to violate your principles. You have to violate your religious beliefs. I mean, this is how far the government has now extended. It has extended into every aspect of your life, and they wonder why we want guns. I mean, the whole thing about government is government is all guns. That is what constitutes the government. That's what makes the government the government. What makes the government the government is it can shoot you legally. That is what makes the government the government. If you don't pay your taxes, they put you in jail. But if you don't want to go to jail, they come and arrest you. What if you don't want to let them arrest you? They have the guns and they can use them. And it's legal for them to use them and no one gets punished for them. That is why the founders wanted us to have the guns. Their argument is that that baby is not a person. Now, If you committed a murder and the police went in and found your DNA, they would know it was you because only you have that DNA. That baby 
is the only person who has that DNA. So when you eradicate it, you are killing, it seems to me, another person. It may not be a fully developed person, but it is a person. So that's the argument we're having. These are the two sides. And it really does matter. You know, it really does matter. I mean, it matters. It's like, it's not like I don't want to get along. It's not like I uh, enjoy having a country that's so angry and so, uh, so much in opposition. But we are arguing about some serious stuff here. And I think that, you know, we're going to have this argument. Meanwhile, what's the news covering? Covering a porn star. Yeah, covering a porn star, CBS got like something like 20 million viewers to tune in to watch this porn star talk about the fact that she slept with Donald Trump before he was president of the United States. I, I want to, I, I mean, I know it's prurient. I, it, it, it pains me in a way to play it, but I really do have to play some of this because I, it's Anderson Cooper, right? Anderson Cooper started out, he was going to be the big investigative journalist. Just, just listen to this. This is Stormy Daniels, this porn star, meets Donald Trump, this billionaire playboy, Cut number four. It started off uh, all about him, just talking about himself. And he's like, uh, have you seen my new magazine? He was showing you his own picture on the cover of the right, magazine. Right. And so I was like, does this, does this normally work for you? And he looked very taken, taken back. Like, he didn't really understand what I was saying. Like, I was just, you know, talking about yourself normally work. And I was like, someone should take that magazine and spank you with it. And I'll never forget the look on his face. And he was what, like, what was the look? Just... I don't think anyone's ever spoken to him like that, especially, you know, a young woman who looked like me. And I said, you know, give me that. And he, I just remember him going, you wouldn't. Hand it over. And uh, so he did. And I was like, turn around, drop him. You told Donald Trump to turn around and take off his pants? Yes. And did he? Yes. So he turned around and pulled his pants down a little. You know, he had underwear on and stuff. And, and I just gave him a couple swats. This was done in a joking manner. Yes. And uh, from that moment on, he was a completely different person. How so? He quit talking about himself, and he asked me things, and I asked him things, and it just became, like, you know, more appropriate. Became more comfortable. <laughs> yeah. He's like, wow, you, you are special. You remind me of my daughter. You know, uh, he's like, you're smart, and beautiful, and a woman to be reckoned with. I like you. I like you. <laughs> There's nothing like a good spanking to earn respect from billionaire playboys. There's nothing like a porn star offering to spank you that makes you respect. That really won his respect. Anderson, what happened to you? You were a journalist. You started to be a journalist. What the hell happened to you? Oh, my Lord. So this is important. I, I do not know why this is important, but except that, except girls, don't be like this. Don't be like this girl. You know, this is this is a woman who is basically telling you that she want, somehow won this exchange with this playboy who's out on the make, I assume, on the make to get her. Let's, let's just assume. We're going to assume Trump says the story isn't true. Like, I don't see how it can not. How it cannot be true. I mean, the guy is a billionaire playboy who runs beauty contests. What is he doing? You know, if he's not doing that, he's letting down the side. You know, if, if, if he didn't sleep with Stormy Daniels, the billionaire playboys are going to have to call him in for disciplinary action. They're going to have to say, why? You Wait a minute. The, you had a porn star offering to spank you with a magazine and you didn't sleep with her? What's wrong with you? You know, I mean, it's just, it's not a news story. It's like saying, it really is like saying farmer farms. You know, we have we have breaking news on 60 Minutes. We're going to cover, dedicate the entire hour to the fact that a farmer was farming. You know, the fact that a billionaire playboy is having this conversation with Stormy Daniels means absolutely nothing. But the, the thing that gets me about it is the whole attitude 
this woman has. She, this is obviously her flirting. She obviously started it. She didn't start it, but she obviously went along with this when a, a woman who looks like that, who is a porn star, says, oh, you should be spanked with that magazine. That's a sexual come on. You know, come on. That is not winning respect. That is a sexual come on. She knew exactly what she was doing. And then she says she goes to his apartment and he takes this as uh, the fact that she's going to have sex with him. And she says, oh, I deserve this. I don't want to do it, but I deserve it because I came to the apartment. I went into an apartment alone with him. So now I have to have sex with him because I deserve it. Girls, do not be like Stormy Daniels. I mean, you can say no. You're allowed, even if you made the mistake of going to a guy's apartment when you shouldn't have, you're always allowed to say no and leave. Believe me, this is not what you want to be like. But I love the the way it's kind of like she's putting this forward as if it were empowering when it's just this, it, it's what it is. It's a trashy get-together, a, cra- a trashy hookup. So let's play this the second thing. She doesn't want to have sex, but she has to because she went there alone Something, something, something. This is cut five. I asked him if I could use his restroom, and he said yes. You know, it's through the, you know, through the bedroom. You'll see it. So I, I excused myself, and I went to the, the restroom. You know, I was in there for a little bit and came out, and he was sitting, you know, on the edge of the bed when I walked out. Perched. And when you saw that, what went through your mind? Uh, I realized exactly what I'd gotten myself into, and I was like, ugh. Here we go. <laughs> and I just felt like maybe uh, it was sort of, I had it coming for making a bad decision for going to someone's room alone. And I just heard the voice and I, well, you put yourself in a bad situation and bad things happen. So you deserve this. And you had sex with him? Yes. You were 27, he was 60. Were you physically attracted to him? No. Not at all? No. Did you want to have sex with him? No. But I didn't, I didn't say no. I'm not a victim. I'm not. It was yeah. entirely consensual. Oh, yes. Yes. Did they have a shower strong enough for Cooper after this? It's like, that's they get the muck off. It's like, I, I'm sorry. Maybe I shouldn't be laughing. You know, here's, here's the thing about democracy and capitalism. They are machines for serving mankind. Capitalism and Republican democracy, a republic, Serve mankind. How do they do it? They take human nature and they pit it against each other. So they have power centers. Instead of having all the power in one place, the way the left always wants it, they have different power centers that have to fight against each other. The church is a power center. The individual is a power center. Your local association is a power center. The House is a power center. Senate, judiciary, president, you know, different separation of powers that have to fight with each other. And that way, even though you have bad guys in government, you still can produce good things. Same thing with capitalism. You take the inner desires of people, greed, you know, and you actually make them serve mankind. In order to serve your greed, you have to make something that people want. Steve Jobs was a bad guy. How do I know? Because Steve Jobs said, I am a bad guy. He said, I'm really not a very nice person. However, does anybody want Steve Jobs to go away? Did anybody want him not to make the iPhone and not to change our lives and not to create these beautiful designs out of electronics? Of course not. Of course not. He did it for his own reasons. The system, the system was built to take a bad guy like Steve Jobs and produce something good out of it. All we care about with Donald Trump, we know who he was. We knew who he was when we voted for him. It's not like Mike Pence. If Mike Pence had done something like this, we'd have to say, oh, everything about this guy is false. You know, he's just not really uh, putting forward a true picture of himself. Donald Trump, no way. We knew exactly 
who he was. There was one quote in that entire 60 Minutes episode that might have been news if they had anything to back it up besides this woman's very questionable testimony, uh, which was this, cut number six. I was in a parking lot going to a fitness class with my infant daughter. I was taking, you know, the seats facing backwards in the back seat, diaper bag, you know, getting all the stuff out. And a guy walked up on me and said to me, leave Trump alone, forget the story. And then he leaned around and looked at my daughter and said, it's a beautiful little girl. It'd be a shame if something happened to her mom. And then he was gone. You took it as a direct threat. Absolutely. I was rattled. I remember going into the workout class and my hands were shaking so much I was afraid I was going to drop her. Did you ever see that person again? No. But I, if I did, I would know it right away. I'll you'd never forget to, You'd be able to recognize that person? 100%. Even now, all these years later. If he walked in the store right now, I would instantly know. Did you go to the police? No. Why? Because I was scared. By the way, of course, we all remember that the women who accused Bill Clinton of raping them or assaulting them, some of them also said they were threatened and they were treated by the press like hookers, even though their sex was not consensual. This woman had consensual sex. However, if that story is true, if they can back it up, if they have anything to back it up, that's that's a news story. That's the only news story in the entire thing. If anybody who was paid by Donald Trump or working for Donald Trump made a threat against somebody, that's an actual news story. That's illegal. Everything else is sex. It's like, it's, it's truly none of our business. You know, this is happening because the Russian collusion story is falling apart. Not only is the House Intelligence Committee uh, mopping up its investigation, everything is, t- it is pointing to dishonesty at the top of the FBI and the DOJ, not in the working you know, not in the places where the guys do the actual work, but in the leadership that was put in place by Obama. Andrew McCabe's firing. Andrew McCabe wrote a piece. Remember, he was the deputy director, fired not by Donald Trump, fired because an internal investigation, the inspector general, DOJ inspector general's investigation turned up that he had lied under oath or lacked candor, they said, under oath about a story he leaked to the press. And that went to the FBI's internal affairs division and he was, and Jeff Sessions fired Andrew McCabe. And it did not cost him his pension, as they kept reporting. That's not true, although it may cost him some money. He wrote a piece, McCabe wrote a piece saying, well, did he lie? No, he said, at worst, I was not clear in my responses. And because of what was going on around me, I may well have been confused and distracted. And for that, I take full responsibility. But that's just what Mike Flynn said. Remember, Mike Flynn, the national security advisor, was tossed out of office because the FBI accused him of lying. And the uh, he is con- uh, confessed to admitted guilt to lying to the FBI about conversations he had with Russian diplomats. And he said it was confusing. It was during the transition period. It was all legal. It was legal for him to do it. He was just convicted or pled guilty to lying about it. It's not that it was illegal to do it. He just didn't get the st- his story right to the FBI. So McCabe is being treated much, much better than Michael Flynn. Michael Flynn was thrown out, had to leave the nas- his post as national security advisor. His life has basically been ruined for nothing, as far as I can tell. He's been truly mistreated by the Mueller investigation. He was replaced by H.R. McMaster, who never, you know, was a good man, but he and Trump never saw eye to eye. Now he's gone, and John Bolton is taking his place. So, it, it's, it's really interesting. And of course, they keep saying this is chaos in the White House, but that's not chaos. You know, basically, there was a conspiracy 
by the DOJ, FBI, and Mueller to get rid of Michael Flynn, to nail him in a way that was really unfair. And now they've gotten around to appointing John Bolton. What's the, let's go to Knucklehead Row for the New York Times' calm, rational take about this. There, the New York Times editorial is, yes, John Bolton really is that dangerous. There are few people more likely than Mr. Bolton is to lead the country into war. How is the national security advisor going to lead the country into war? His selection is a decision that is as alarming as any Mr. Trump has made. His selection, along with the nomination of the hardline CIA director Mike Pompeo as secretary of state, shows the degree to which Mr. Trump is indulging his worst nationalistic instincts. What are they worried about? Well, let's before we go to that, let's look at Tim Kaine. I want you to remember Tim Kaine was the vice presidential candidate with Hillary Clinton, right? A woman who, well, let's let's hear what he said. This is full Joe McCarthy stuff. Remember Joe McCarthy used to come out and say, God, Mr. Chairman, I have in my hand the names of communists in the State Department, and you'd never get to see the list. Here's Tim, Mc, Tim Kaine on John Bolton. Reports surfaced right after he was named about a speech that he gave in Russia in 2013 um, at the request of a Russian oligarch who's very close to Vladimir Putin. Um, these kinds of contacts with foreign gov uh, governments, especially uh, in the words of General Dunford, who's the head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Russia is the chief nation state adversary of the United States. These kinds of contacts raise real questions in my mind about whether he could get a full security clearance or not. We've already lost one national security advisor, Michael Flynn, uh, because he was lying about contacts with foreign governments and had to be let go. I think uh, even though the Senate doesn't get a vote to confirm the national security advisor, I have many, many questions, not only about uh, John Bolton's philosophy, but about these contacts His with Russia and potentially other governments. Sleazy peasy from the vice presidential candidate of the presidential candidate whose husband was taking half a million dollars to make speeches in Russia and then... Mrs. Clinton then arranged or helped Russia get clearance to purchase some of our uranium supplies. I mean, what is he talking about? He's talking about John Bolton made a speech in Russia. Now that's a problem. That makes him an enemy of the state. And he says he can't get a security clearance. Know how you get a security clearance? The president of the United States says you have a security clearance. Then you have a security clearance. I mean, he's talking absolute trash. And this is why we're watching Stormy Daniels. It is because everything they do keeps blowing up in their face. They, they got Mike Flynn. And what did they get instead? They got John Bolton, the man they hate and fear more than anybody else. Why? Because John Bolton says we have to stand up to North Korea and the Iran deal was a mistake. Now, Bolton is being very cagey about what he'll say because he said, you know, well, that's all in the past and I can't really talk about what I'll say to the president. But we, we've got, Bolton has never been shy about expressing his opinions. So let's just listen for a minute when, remember back when uh, Trump had to certify the Iran deal, they asked Bolton if he should certify the Iran deal. Here was, here was his response, cut 10. To the real question, which is, is this a good deal for the United States or not? If it's not a good deal, we should get out of it. And that's what he said during the campaign. That's what he should do. You know, I'm not aware of any major agreement the United States has internationally, not treaties, not executive agreements, not anything that has a legislative companion 
comparable to the Corker Carden bill that requires this certification process. And I have to say, the Corker Carden bill was a mistake from the get-go, and this whole debate over certification is one more pernicious effect of it. I just repeal the whole thing. I don't care really whether he certifies or not. It's okay. better to decertify, but it's not enough if you don't get out of the deal. And you ask yourself, how logically can the president say this deal is not in America's national interest, but by gosh, I'm going to stay in it? This is what the New York Times is worried about. They say that they say this deal has stopped the Iranians from making nuclear weapons. You want to bet you want to. I mean, this is the thing. Every everything they say when they say this is going to start a war, they're not thinking about the fact that 10 years down the line, they're going to have nuclear weapons. And then what? then we're just helpless. That's what they look, that's kind of what they're looking for. I don't think that that's what they're looking for. I think they're just cowards. They're just cowards and they hate the sound of men standing up to bad guys. They just hate that noise that it makes, you know, because they're, they're little girls running around <laughs> throwing their skirts over their faces. They just hate the sound of a guy like John Bolton who's just telling the truth. We all know it. We all know we have to stand up to North Korea. We all know we can't let the guy just sit there, that madman sit there building nuclear weapons. So what's, what is the problem? It's dangerous? Yeah, it is dangerous. It's dangerous to stand up to these guys. But the point, the real point is simply this. Everything we're watching, everything we're watching is this ceaseless, ceaseless attempt to create a narrative about Donald Trump that somehow he is unfit to serve as president of the United States, that your vote shouldn't matter, your vote should be turned around, the vote should be nullified because they know so much more than you do. And that is why we're look, listening to a porn star. That's why we're listening to a porn star talk about her creepy little, you know, get together with a guy. It's like, it, it, because it's all they've got. This Russian thing has fallen apart. They, they got Mike Flynn and now instead they have John Bolton, the guy they fear more than anybody else in the world. The only victory that they have scored recently is this omnibus bill. And we will talk about that if we have time. If we don't have time today, we'll talk about it tomorrow. But first, we're going to go talk to Michael Knowles about this gun uh this gun march, anti-gun march, because this is actually part of the same story. If we can get Knowles on the Skype, he is in New York. What's he doing in New York? Who let him out of the house? It's just, gosh, this is terrible news for New York. We have to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube, but come on over to thedailywire.com, subscribe, and then you can watch the whole thing right there without being cast into the exterior darkness where there is great wailing and gnashing of teeth. It's a lousy $9.99 a month. Are you so cheap that you can't make your life so much better? If you pay the $99.99 for the whole year, which actually saves you some money, but I can't compute how much because I was an English major. But then you get the Leftist Tears Tumblr, which automatically fills with Leftist Tears as their narrative collapses. Their narrative collapses, becomes Leftist Tears, automatically funneled into the tumble. Tumblr. Drink it. It cures your pimples. Come on over to thedailywire.com. <laughs> All right, we have Michael Knowles, who may be the only person in New York who has not spanked the president of the United States. Uh, <laughs> can you hear me? Don't rush to judgment, Drew. You know what they say when you assume. <laughs> I know. I don't know. I don't know why that came into my head that 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 you would be free of that uh, sin. All right, I'm going to just be quiet and let you talk about what happened uh, over the weekend with this anti-gun march. Well, that's good. I'm glad you you clearly took the lesson out of the march, which is that if you are even slightly older than anyone else, you can never speak again. The younger you are, the smarter you are. That is the lesson of the march for our lives. They even had a speaker who was 11 years old. I kid you not. There was a, a girl who spoke, a Naomi Wadler. She talked about her perspective 
uh, because not all of the perspectives had been given. Only the perspectives of young, photogenic white males. Those were the ones. So then she gave a perspective as a an eleven year old black female, and Naomi uh, Jessica Valenti of the Guardian tweeted out, she said, wow, wow, Naomi Wadler, she's 11 years old and smarter than us all. And I'll tell you folks, truer words have never been spoken. <laughs> she, she has it right. Now, of course, Jessica takes this as something that she should worry about, say, gosh, what does it say about me if an 11-year-old is much smarter than I am? But this was the case the entire time. This was all over the place. As you said, you put it very well on the show, the left is everywhere right now. The Russia thing failed, so now, okay, we'll have a porn star over here, and we'll trot out some kids over here. Yeah, that'll, okay, and what about this? Anything to take him down. The Women's March, the March for Our Lives, they're all, they're all the same thing, which is marches against Donald Trump intersectionality has poisoned these kids' critical thinking faculties. You know, the, the girl with the shaved head, Emma Gonzalez, says that gun control is really linked to gay identity. She was asked <laughs> this question. She said, oh, they're definitely linked. As a self-identifying bisexual, my sexual, and I said, okay, all right, that's fine. A Planned Parenthood tweeted out, said that everyone has the right to lead a life that is healthy and free from violence, oh, unless we get to you first. <laughs> oh, I added that part in. But that was basically the idea. <laughs> uh, David Hogg said that now we have to worry about voter ID. We've gone from a gun control protest to a protest about voter identification because, uh, yeah, I don't know, that's fine. That's, that's against Trump, sure. Here, I, I hate to subject you to this. Here is just a little clip of David Hogg so you can get a flavor of the, the march. You guys are kids and there are like adults that should be oh, yeah. doing. Like, do you guys ever think, like, why the f are we the ones who are doing this? Well, at this point, it's like when you're, when you're older parents like I don't know how to send an iMessage and you're just like give me the phone and you take it and you're like okay let me handle it and you get it done in one second. Sadly that's what we have to do with our government because our parents don't know how to use a democracy so we have to. That translated at the I, I, I got that and that translated at the march to he would just say these platitudes but very serious you know he'd be performing it. He'd say no more and, and he was performing this uh, meaningful activism but it was just empty slogans this is the important uh, takeaway: is that it it, it is a hollow, it, it's a hollow movement, in, in so much as the left always likes the appearance of the thing, but they don't like the essence of the thing. They want to look like these really important activists, but they're not saying anything. So there were a lot of lies that were spouted at this, of course. Uh, uh, David Hogg. Uh, kept accusing Marco Rubio of killing kids and of the NRA of killing kids with a totally fact-free uh, student Jared Miller said that there have been 95 mass shootings in America since 2008 not even close uh, even Mother Jones which is perfectly willing to exaggerate their number only puts that at 54 just about half of what one of these students says uh, it's uh, a a fact-free movement, and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense if you think about it as a as a matter of gun control or as a matter of activism. Our friend, I had him on the show, Kyle Kashev, the conservative student from Parkland, it, he has now gotten some legislation put in. He's been meeting with uh, members of Congress and with the president. They don't care about that. The entire thing is just about opposing Trump because they've run out of steam. They've, they, they can't uh, hit him on the booming economy. They can't hit him on uh, deregulation. They can't hit him on this, that, and the other thing. The only thing they could hit him on is this terrible budget, but the Democrats actually like that. So you have this total incoherence, uh, and uh, we should count our blessings that they're not able to direct their sources in one direction. Then they might be formidable. Right now, they're just 
they they are look like the sort of people who are taking their marching orders from 11-year-olds. <laughs> All right, Knowles, I'm going to let you go. But uh, thank you very much and enjoy New York. What are you doing there? I will. Well, I got to tell you, I'm in New York because I'm speaking at Yeshiva University tonight and I'm speaking at Ithaca University on Thursday. Because if you don't write a book, then people invite you and they want you to speak at things. <laughs> All right, well, have a good time and we'll see you when you get back. You know, I actually thought that a lot of this, uh, what I would like to know is who paid for a lot of the marchers to get where they are and a lot of their signs and all this stuff, because it looked to me like a full-fledged Democrat recruitment uh, drive. That's what it looked like. And that, you know, I I feel for these kids because I do know that some of them are going to find out how quickly the Democrats dump you after they don't need you or after you get in the way, or maybe if they find out that your gun control marches are costing them votes, they will leave you in the lurch, you will not be able to find a television camera, and then all that adrenaline and all that fun will be over, and you won't know what hit you. Uh, Emma Gonzalez, I thought she got up and she gave this silent speech, you know, and everybody said, oh, silence was more eloquent. What was eloquent to me is she's a Cuban-American. She's wearing a Cuban flag on her shirt, and I'm thinking, yeah, what do you think the Cubans, uh, well, you know, Cubans don't have guns. Why do you think that is, Emma? You know, maybe you want to think that through, unless you want to go back and live there and find out what that is like, which you want. The one victory I think that the Democrats really have scored is this budget. And it's not an entire victory. I mean, we we who care about spending and not wanting to spend the government into oblivion and not want to feed, we don't want to feed the beast, I think, more importantly than anything else. This is, I think, Trump's genuine Achilles heel is that he because Trump was elected in large part because globalization helps the poor in other countries and the rich in this country, but hurts, I shouldn't say the poor, the lower middle class in this country. It hurts the lower middle class in this country, helps the lower middle class in places like China, and it helps the rich here. That is not a prescription for a happy country. That is a problem. I understand there are many benefits of globalization. I understand we want free trade and all this, but Trump understood that America, Americans have to put America first, and it was not helping a very wide swath of the American working class. That's why he was put in place. And because he is talking to those people and because they are suffering economically, he doesn't want to hurt their entitlements because they too want entitlements. It's not just, you know, people in urban slums. It is also people out in the Midwest who may have lost their jobs or may feel their jobs are threatened and want to make sure their kids are not going to starve and want to make sure that those entitlements are in place. And so he has promised not to touch certain entitlements that he is going to have to touch because that is the problem. Paul Ryan is right about this. This is the problem. The problem is that these things are sucking money out of the system and they don't have to. They don't have to. Why do I say they don't have to? It's because Social Security was put in place when people died at 63. It kicked in at 65, 63, you were gone. Your life expectancy has gone up a lot since then. And there's no reason your health is better. There's no reason you can't work a little longer and collect your money later on, just like it was intended to. You know, it was intended to be at the end of your life. When you were stopped working, you got your social security investment back. There's no reason that age limit can't be pushed up. It doesn't have to be pushed up tomorrow and be pushed up for the next generation, but still it has to be pushed up to save the money. And Trump won't do it. So instead he gets this huge bill in order to win, get the government funded until I think it's September, 
In order to get the money he wants for the military, he has to give the Democrats what they want because he needs those 60 votes. So let's let's hear Trump making the excuse about the military. This is why he says he says he didn't want to sign this. He threatened to veto it, but he did. And this is why my highest duty is to keep America safe. Nothing more important. The omnibus bill reverses this dangerous defense as crazy as it's been as difficult as it's been, as much opposition to the military as we've had from the Democrats, and it has been tremendous. I try to explain to them, you know, the military is for Republicans and Democrats and everybody else. It's for everybody. But we have tremendous opposition to creating really what will be the far, by far, the strongest military that we've ever had. We've had that from the Democrats. So if we take something for the military, they want something for, in many cases, things that are really a wasted sum of money. It's not right, and it's very bad for our country. So now he calls for changes in the way these things are done. He says he's never going to sign a bill like this again, which is an interesting promise. Let's see if that holds. But he says there have to be some changes, and here's what he wants. is cut 14. To prevent the omnibus situation from ever happening again, I'm calling on Congress to give me a line item veto for all government spending bills. And the Senate must end. They must end the filibuster rule and get down to work. We have to get a lot of great legislation approved. And without the filibuster rule, it'll happen just like magic. I have to say, I'm, I think he's half right about this. The president should not get line item veto power. The Constitution gave the purse strings to the Congress. The bills have to start in the House, though they can be amended in the Senate. And that was intentional. The president should not have the power of the purse. That was why in the old days, the king had to call parliament was to get the tax uh, to get taxes so he could wage his wars. We still need that in place. That's a safeguard. And he should not get line item vetoes. Remember, a Republican's not always going to be president. That means that you're going to have guys like Obama vetoing uh, line items. You do not want that. However, he's right about the he's right about this filibuster law. This it has become abused. It was not intended for this. It was intended to be like Mr. Smith goes to Washington, a dramatic moment when somebody stood up, held the floor, delayed a bill, got some time out for them to you know uh, talk to the people, uh, propagandize against the bill, and maybe turn the public around, maybe get people to call their congressmen, and then sit down and let the vote take place. It was not meant to be a permanent 60 votes as needed to pass every law. And he's right. Mitch McConnell is being foolish about this because I know he's a traditionalist. I know he has a lot of feeling for the traditions of the Senate. But when a tradition becomes abused, it's no longer the same tradition. And that and he should get rid of that. They should definitely get rid of that. So what we're watching is it really is an interesting moment. I, I have to say the president is now the president. And that is one of the things Scott Adams talked about this. You can't demonize the guy forever. He is now the president of the United States. There's a full fledged attack going on. What is happening is the media once again is just dragging themselves in the muck. Anderson Cooper should be sitting at home weeping. He should be sitting on the edge of his bed with his face in his hands, weeping at what has become of him. I don't care what his ratings are. He should just be ashamed of what he's doing for a living at this point, because it's all attack. If they were just reporting the news, we would see this is Republicans against Democrats. 
just like I said at the beginning, this is two different ways of looking at the world. One of us wants to keep our guns, as the Second Amendment says, because we want to be free. One of us wants the right to kill babies because something, 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 because it makes you free to have sex or something like that. All right. I have to one one last story. I'm going to do some uh, Holy Week uh, talks this week, but I have to do one last story. The BET Network, which I guess is that the Black Entertainment Network, is that what it is? They uh, they had a a Q and A with Michelle Obama, and a Pulitzer Prize winning pro Obama journalist was there, and she published a story for the Washington Post. Robin Given, she published a story from the Washington Post about this Q&A with Michelle Obama, and she was booted from the event because BET said she was made aware that it was an intimate conversation in a sacred space of sisterhood and fellowship. So she violated the sacred space of Michelle Obama. So I guess democracy dies in darkness over there at the Washington Post because they have always been, the Obamas, so much worse to the press than Trump is. Trump attacks them, but he leaves them free. Obama just used to tear them apart, and they're still doing it. All right, so it's Holy Week. It is Holy Week. That begins with Palm Sunday. That is to celebrate, for those of you who, you know, don't know anything about anything, those, that celebrates the day that Jesus entered Jerusalem. He was welcomed by the crowds. They waved palms in celebration. They threw clothes down to make a way for his uh, donkey to come into town. And the same mob, basically, a couple days later, was calling for his crucifixion. So it is the fickleness of the crowd. And I just, all all week we will be celebrating this. It obviously ends in Good Friday, which is the day of the crucifixion, and then goes into Easter Sunday, the day of the resurrection. And I just wanted, I wanted to talk a little bit about this because I guess uh, these stories have been much on my mind because it's Lent, but they've also been much on my mind because I find that I'm having very new and rich insights that are improving my life and deepening my joy in my relationship with God, but also in my relationship with the world. And just I just want to think about this out loud for a while and see if it's helpful at all. You know, one of the things about Jesus's life is that in many ways, and this is not an original thought on my case, on my part, but it reiterates the Old Testament. There's language in his baptism, in, Jesus, in the story of Jesus' baptism, that echoes the language that's used in Genesis for the creation of the world. And it's supposed to reflect that. He has 12 disciples in the same way there were 12 tribes of Israel. And his death is talked about, happened on Passover, and is talked about as the Passover sacrifice. When they say in Catholic, or in what I'm in, an Anglo-Catholic church, when they take the Mass, they say Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. And the, sac- the Passover, of course, was when the Jews were freed from slavery in Egypt. And so as God freed the Jews from physical slavery in Egypt, Jesus frees all of us from our spiritual slavery to sin. But one of the ways that I don't hear them talking about a lot is the way Jesus reiterates the burning bush. To me, the story of the burning bush is maybe the most profound, maybe next to the creation story in Genesis, the story of the the fall, it is one of the most profound moments in the Old Testament. Moses, or Charlton Heston, depending on what you believe, is, uh, uh, has escaped from Egypt. He's killed an Egyptian slave driver, and he has to run away. He marries a a woman and becomes, marries the daughter of a rich, 
what would you call him, a shepherd. I guess he's got a, a large flock, and he become, he goes out to tend the flock. And Moses was tending the flock, reading from the Bible. He was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place that you are standing on is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face, and later he said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am that I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Jesus often echoes that I am statement. There are a lot of I am statements in the New Testament. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. He's always saying I am and echoing that I am. And the reason I feel that this is such a profound moment is Moses is looking at a model, a metaphor of the creative destructive process that is the ongoing world of nature. There's a fire that consumes the bush, but the bush is never consumed, just as like as things are always being destroyed in nature and yet nature itself continues. And the, that process itself, out of that process, a voice speaks and says, I am. Out of that process, a voice speaks and says, this is not a blind process. It looks like a blind, random, eternal, meaningless process of destruction and creation, meaning nothing. But in fact, it is the expression of a personality, I am, the personality that will send you into Egypt to free your people, the personality that loves you, the personality that created you for freedom, the personality that created everything. That is a different way to look at the world, right? The world is either, as scientists, some scientists see it, just a series of processes that are meaningless and just go on because they go on and have an internal logic and that's it, or it is the expression of a creative personality that loves you and wants you to be free. I am. And Jesus, in dying and being resurrected, reiterates the burning bush. He reiterates that in your death, in a person's death, is also life. In a person's death and life, there is meaning. There is that I am. And that to me, that the, and that to me, the seemingless, the seemingly meaningless process of living and dying is not a meaningless process because in you and in him there is this I am. There is an I am of the process itself, and there, there is the I am of your particular life. And that seems to me to be the two different ways of living, right? It is living as, as if your life and everything around you is this mindless process that has no meaning, or it's living in the sense that it and you are the expression of a personality. It is the expression of a personality, and I am, of love and freedom and creativity that is calling on you to be in your life and your death to be an, an eternal expression of love and freedom and creativity. Think about it for a moment to yourself. Which one sounds like a better life? Which one sounds like it's going to give you a better life? It's all, it's all about faith. It's all about believing. But when you have that attitude, which one of those is going to be a better life? A thought for the first day, of, I guess it's the second day of Holy Week. I don't know how you, you measure it. And I will have some more thoughts tomorrow. I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show, and we will see you then. 
The Andrew Clavin Show is produced by Robert Sterling. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Technical producer, Austin Stevens. Edited by Alex Zingaro. Audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. And our animations are by Cynthia Angulo and Jacob Jackson. The Andrew Clavin Show is a Daily Wire forward publishing production. Copyright forward publishing 2018.